welcome everyone. You are tuned into the Private Investigator Experience. Our host is Phil Little, and I'm Wade Little. Well, before we get too far into today's show, we would like to ask you for your help, and that's by subscribing and liking this show. Whether you're listening to our podcast or watching us on YouTube, your support is greatly appreciated. So thank you very much. Also, we want to encourage you to reach out and contact us by email. If you have any questions for us, maybe you need a PI, you have a situation going on, you, you want to just ask some questions, whatever it may be, or you just want to say hi. Here's the email address where you can reach out to us. It is plittlepi777 at gmail.com. All right. So one area of investigative work that we receive a lot of questions about is undercover work. People watch TV shows and movies. And when they see these shows and these movies with the character that goes undercover and they do all these amazing things and they're, they're quick on their feet, so to speak, they think, Oh, wow, I can do that. Well, maybe you can and maybe you can't. Well, we're going to set the record straight today. Is UC work like it is on TV? And how does the UC agent protect and cover their true identity? Also, I want to remind you that our host, Phil Little, has written several books. Hostile Intent is amongst one of them. So those are available online in most places. So check that out too. So all right, now let's get into today's show. Dan, how you doing? You know, I'm doing well, Wade. Before we jump into Undercover, I do also just want to thank our viewers and listeners for reaching out. Um, hearing from people and seeing people uh, sign up. That's great. Thank you for doing that. And as Wade said, feel free to send us uh, questions you might have, what's about your home security, personal security, pictures of your home, give you input of how you might be able to better protect yourself. You know, our, our show is about private eye work, and we want to sh share some cases with you and talk about there are some similarities to television on what we do. Most of it isn't, but we have that part of it. But uh, also, I want to be able to give you something, not just only entertain you, but give you something each week that you can help keep your family and your friends or your business or your home safer and to keep from becoming a victim. And I was thinking about this, Wade, and I realized that over the years, we had a, a training academy, a private investigator training academy in uh, Southern California and Northern California. We trained thousands of people how to become private eyes. So I want to have a little bit of a course here, and I'm going to try every week to give you one of those tools that we taught our investigators over the years so you can help yourself stay safer. So be watching for that. Or if you have a question about one of those, you know, send us an email, leave us a comment. Uh, independent work, work in the private sector, it can have its dangers. But it's like most things in our field, a lot of it is common sense and preventing thinking. Uh, we vet our agents very carefully, and we put safety at the top concern. We don't want to ever have one of our agents get in a violent situation. I will share one story with you a little later. And our undercover agents are a little different than television. Uh, they usually are in the workplace, and they're not infiltrating a gang or a cartel for the most part. But we're inside a company looking for Problems that are internal, theft, drugs, uh, harassment, uh, supervisory, taking advantage of people, all those kind of things is, is what we're looking for. Now, the difference is, too, you know, from television, uh, you'll see the uh, undercover agent that maybe has to come in and testify and go to court. We try to not have that happen. What we do, 
our undercover agents are normal employees. They fit into the workforce, just like everyone else that's working there. And they report to us every day. And we take those reports, and our goal is, is to build a case independent of the undercover agent so that we never have to use them or expose their identity. Now, the clients like that. But they don't want the publicity, oh, you had undercover agents inside. And then we can use that undercover agent even in another business close by because they've just been a normal employees. And then at, at the end of the assignment, uh, the agent is taken out and then uh, we wind up and then the fun starts for me and our investigators because then we have interrogation and other things that we do at the end, which we'll talk about a little later. Right. And it's the, uh, the work of the undercover agent is, is amazing because each day they have to uh, make notes, a report on what happened during that day. And it's not like they can just sit there and start writing down things in front of everybody. They have to have a keen memory to remember yeah. facts and details. So as far as the undercover division, I mean, how important was that division to the overall success of West Coast Detectives? Well, wait, I think uh, as I look back, the undercover, other, undercover division was the, the center of what we did. Because from that, undercover, uh, we developed surveillance uh, activities, research, backgrounds, polygraph. And at the end, we would have a big takedown scene, which we did have those situations where we would be working with also local law enforcement. And we would have uh, a takedown in the middle of the night sometimes when they uh, were stealing and taking merchandise. So we had those, uh, those things as part of our uh, development through the undercover division. And uh, we would have a hundred plus of men and women in the undercover division. Now, those of you that are thinking about women in undercover, no, we didn't do any illicit things, any um, uh, uh, seductive things. Our female agents, when they were working in assignment, they were covered and protected closely. And so we wanted to make sure that our agents were able to get the information that we needed and we could still keep them safe. And now many times we would have three, four or five agents inside, inside the same company and none of them would know each other in most cases. We didn't want them giving themselves away by trying to get together and talk or figure things out. So we, we had those um, exciting, fun times, but a lot of the undercover work and, and what our agents were doing was, that, as Wade said, observe, report. You had to have a good memory and you wrote everything down either when you got home or if you could get to a restroom to make notes to make sure they were never detected. Right. And one thing you mentioned, um, you talked about they are hired in the company, which can be tricky sometimes, but sometimes we have inside sources that help um, to to facilitate the hiring. But um, so, I mean, what are the benefits of having an agent work as an employee as opposed to like doing outside surveillance? Um, what that maybe that wouldn't provide. Well, the big thing is it made me look good as an interrogator. I would have close hundred percent of confessions because of the undercover agent reports. Now, tell me what I would uh, start an interview after the case is over. Maybe it's been three months, four months, six months that we've had undercover uh, cover agents working inside. And we got all the information. We thought we had everything covered of illegal activities. Then we would have a time that we would call in the employees. Sometimes there would be 
15, 20, 50 employees we would be interviewing in large companies. And I would usually start the interview, uh, interview the same way. I would talk to them, get acquainted, get them relaxed, talk about their families, about their job, how they like the company, and, and get them relaxed. And they would say, wow, this isn't going to be so tough after all. And then I would tell them something like, you know, we've been putting you to bed and waking you up you know, for a long time now. And we know what's been going on. Why don't you just start from the beginning and tell me uh, how this all started? Well, I'm, and sometimes they'll say, well, what are you talking about? I don't know. So I'll open up the file and uh, there uh, I have all these reports. So I will say to them something like, you know, on February the 5th at 4 p.m., you were driving down the street and you turned on on uh, Chase Avenue and pulled into this house and unloaded some material. And suddenly you see their Adam's apple start jumping and uh, you see the expressions on their, on their face and you've got them. And you say, I've got more, but why don't you tell me why all this started? And invariably, they will start talking. Only in a rare few cases of really guys that are cons that's been in the street, they'll say, oh, your best shot at me. I say, okay, uh, we have the police there and we call the police in and we take them off and book them. But we didn't usually have to do that. You know, and the tragic stories I heard as an interrogator of why people started internal theft or pilferage or these illegal activities. And some of the most heartbreaking cases were people that had had a child with a major medical situation that they had no way of paying. And they started this to help their child. And I tell you, that that cuts this interrogator's heart. And there were a few times that I would make recommendations to the company to say, you know, this person, they did these things and there were some things they did. There needs to be restitution, but I can recommend that you would keep this person on. And, you know, the times that happened, those people went on to become very good employees. So we just won't work the bad guys, the bad cops, the tough cops, uh, try to throw everybody in jail. We look humanly at situations and people's situations too, and uh, took that into consideration. Right. So I remember uh, one case, and it kind of leads into the question I'm about to ask: Is we were watching a clothing store. We had cameras, uh, covert cameras, in a specific area, common area, and there was a lot of internal theft going on. The the client, this uh, large uh, clothing manufacturer, were, they were losing. I mean, thousands of dollars, uh, uh, if not a week, you know, a month in merchandise. So we were there. We we had our agent in there and we were watching and getting reports and so forth. And then when it came time to do the interrogation, like you were talking about, we were there. We brought these teenage girls in. Uh, I think maybe they might have been 18, maybe 19, right around there. So here's my question. Would you ever have a suspect refuse to talk and deny any illegal activities? Because with these girls, the one we thought who would cave was just the opposite. Yeah, well, actually, we would have minors. Sometimes, sometimes these kids working in these, some of these client stores were 16 or 17. Uh, they, they sometimes thought they could flim flam us, particularly the girls. They thought they would, they would do the sweet little things and, and be the innocent little girl. Uh, but we had the information on them. Occasionally, I had a teenager, like as I mentioned with the adults, uh, the younger set, that would just deny, deny, deny. They said, we didn't do it, didn't do it. And we then would have the information, and then we would have to take action. 
which I, I preferred to have them uh, work with us and work out the situation and see if we could help them redeem their lives. But that wasn't always the case. Sometimes they would just say, no, you just have to do what you're going to do. And then we would take the action of prosecution or filing charges and and then working on uh, that process. Right. And that was the, what happened in this case. The one girl we thought would break, she was uh, hard as stone. And the other ones that we thought would be hard as stone, they were like, oh, yeah, we did this, we did this, and, and she did this. And so it's interesting how once you're put on the spot like that and the pressure's on, how you respond. So, so well, well, Wade, Wade, one thing to remember as investigators, I learned early on, don't ever assume anything. And I would have clients we went into with undercover, and they would, uh, the owner would say, you know, John's been with me. 30 years, 20 years, 15 years. I trust him. You don't have to worry about him. He's not the one. And many times we would find out that that was the one. So we never assumed anything. Right. Exactly. All right. So let's, let's kind of change course here on like with government clients, because I know we've done work for government agencies over the years. So would you ever have like a government client who for confidential reasons would hire West Coast to perform UC or investigative work? Yes, on many occasions, uh, Wade, we had both uh, classified and unclassified. And uh, uh, one case, which always leaps to mind, was a large case. It was from another state uh, on a joint uh, military operation that had a big base where they had the spacecraft and uh, Columbia's uh, space vehicles were there. And because it was a small area, you would say, well, why didn't they use the FBI? Why didn't they use, which would normally be the case, but in this case, when they contacted me, I was a little surprised, and they said, we were referred to you because of your background and your professionalism and, and these kind of cases, but we didn't want to use the FBI because this was a small area, and we were afraid that they might be known uh, and blow their cover inside. So we would have cases like that. And on this particular case, and all, all the government cases, we never had anyone that was doing the hiring know that they were undercover agents. In the corporate world, usually three or four people, the most at the top of a company would know. And usually one would be the HR director. And that person would facilitate getting the agents hired. Well, in the government cases, we didn't have that. So we had a trade craft that we used that we developed over the years. And so we would have that client contact give us all the information about the hiring individuals who would be doing the interviewing of our agents for hiring and we would find out a whole profile on them what did they like what did they dislike what did they want the agent to be like sometimes we would be dealing with a, a military person that would be doing the interviewing so they like someone with a military background pro-americans um, or whatever the traits were then once we got all of those traits we would spend hours doing role-playing with the agents, going through questions that they were going to be asked. And in this particular case, and many others, but this particular one, uh, we had three agents going in, one on the night, the night shift uh, and the, the three shifts in the 24-hour operation. And all three of our agents were hired within a week after the interview and even before the uh, backgrounds were started because they had been briefed all the way on how to get hired. So we were very successful of getting uh, people, uh, agents inside even government-related uh, clients. Uh, we just have to do your homework. You have to be prepared. And uh, that's why 
we went to great lengths in testing our undercover agents. We had a couple of situations happen. One that, oh, this was in the 80s, I think this happened, that we had hired an agent, put them inside a company, and they had started work for a week or two. And we got a call from the agent and saying, I can't send you any reports. And we said, what do you mean? Well, I got to know these people and I like them. I can never report on them and what they're doing. And so, okay. So we pulled the agent out. And then what we did from that, we did forensic uh, psychological training through our forensic psychiatrists. So we wrote in to our testing to eliminate people that might have that problem that on reporting on people they got to know. So we we did that uh, ahead of time, and we never have another situation like that after that fact. Then the other situation that we used for some time, agents would have to go out after work, hang out with the guys, maybe go to a bar after work. And obviously, they weren't supposed to get drunk. They weren't supposed to overdrink. They were supposed to fake it, do whatever. Well, one instance, they stayed late. This agent drank too much, got to talking, and he confessed to being an undercover agent. And they took him out back and beat him up. Um, so we took pictures of the guy. Fortunately, he was okay. And we used that as training on what not to do with the employees. Don't give away your cover. So uh, this is all about uh, training. We had hundreds and hundreds of undercover agents over the years. And those two cases that I mentioned were the only two of the type that I can recall that we ever had because we dealt with things quickly when they came up and, and, and reinvented the training and made sure that we didn't get into that situation again. Right. Yeah, I remember back in one of our offices in the, that area of the office, the undercover area, where there was this big whiteboard on there and there was, I don't know, 10, 20 different case names of undercover cases that were going on at any given time. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing. I remember, as a matter of fact, back in, back in those days, I had longer hair. And one, one guy that we uh, hired who was a retired LASO, he first, when he first saw me, he was like, oh, this guy was the under, a, a undercover agent. How long had you been doing the undercovers before you realized after this one incident that you needed to look at the psychological aspect of the of the employees or the potential hires. Well, when I took over West Coast Detectives in 1977, we had a large undercover division, and that was one of the things that the the man Stanley Comstock that I'd taken over the agency from, who was the second owner, uh, had 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 built. And uh, it, it was several months; it might even have been a year or two. I oh, that's been quite a while ago now. Before that happened, and uh, it was early on. And then that was about the time. Then we came into the to the late 80s when the forensic psychiatrists became very important in the stalker issue. And then Rebecca Schaefer was was an actress that was killed by a stalker at her door in early 90s. And so that was along the time which we were all becoming aware that we had to know more about the people, not only that were working for us, but our clients. And this brings up a whole nother thing we'll talk about probably at another time. But we knew who our clients were. If a man come looking for a woman, trying to find her, we made sure why he was looking for her, if it was legitimate, making sure he wasn't a stalker, 
And then we would contact the woman when we found her and say, this person is trying to reach you. Is this someone you want to find you? So we are careful about guarding not only our employees, but also our clients. And uh, that still goes on today with, uh, with everything that we do in our, in our vetting our people. Right. And I know there's been several instances when I remember working on cases where that happened and it turned out the person was a stalker. And so we, uh, we uh, handled that appropriately. So as we kind of close today's uh, uh, show on undercover work, let me ask this question. In all the years you've done undercover work, um, what was your favorite case? The, the thing that I remember, we were working on a, a major theft case of a, of a manufacturing company. And they were stealing merchandise. And at nighttime, they were taking it out in a truck, and they were uh, going to uh, offload it at a location. We had set up with the South Bay. This is in, in, uh, down in uh, South Los Angeles, uh, Torrance, and all that area, Long Beach area, with the uh, uh, cargo task force, uh, mainly with LA, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office. And we had a whole team set up. And this was one of those wild scenes. One of the deputies, I was carrying a handgun, but tossed me a shotgun as we were running down the alley, chasing these people, trying to head them off. And it went into all kinds of wild uh, chases and, and calling out and, and finding people and got the truck stopped and took everybody into custody and took them to the police station. So that was that I went out, I think in those days, I was out on every takedown situation. That was my thing. You guys do the work, get it all ready. Well, me, and I'll be there for the grand finale. So that would be probably my my uh, uh, favorite uh, memory. There was a lot of others uh, similar also. Right. So it almost sounds like a scene from a TV show. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. All right. So, all right. As we as we kind of wind down here. So do you have any final thoughts you want to share? Yeah. As, as we jump now to a little broader scene of helping all of us stay safe. You know, I've been thinking about the world and all the challenges that we live in and things that affect us from around the world. Uh, and, uh, and also what's going on today with the schools of training our children. It, it, it's uh, important that we have accurate information as parents and as uh, just citizens about what's going on in our communities. Just having a strong military is not the real answer. Israel, in its forming in 1948, realized that they had to have accurate intelligence, information, to make the right decisions on for the military. So you, as a citizen, a homeowner, a parent, a citizen of your community, need to have good information about what's going on around you to help keep your community safe. Now, we can look at the recent fall of countries such as, well, even Hitler in Germany. He brainwashed the people, and the young people were brainwashed with education, so they supported him, and the average citizen just kept quiet many times because they didn't know what to say. And so not knowing what Hitler really had planned caused the fall of Germany. And when we're at a point in our country, and this is not just hysteria, not just throwing out something to be um, uh, hyperbolic about, but we have issues that we need to rise up and let our voices be heard in our local communities. Now, one of the most important things that we would teach our academy students about private investigation was being a good researcher 
And today we have research capabilities that are mind blowing. You know, Mr. Google and all those things. So um, if you're thinking about what's going on in your community, one thing for you to research, research preventive law enforcement or attacks on your local police department in your city. Find out what ordinances are coming up at the city council. What would take away police preventive law enforcement? What would defund the police? Then get involved. Don't, don't wait. Talk to your neighbors. Two or three can make a difference. In another show, I'll tell you about a situation that that happened where with me many, many years ago. And then check out your schools. I'm talking to parents and I said, do you know what CRT? They say, what's CRT? What is that? Uh, they don't know what it is, CRT, critical race theory, and it's being taught in the schools, warping the minds of our children's, uh, on their education. Get involved. Check it out in your school. Go to your uh, kid's school and find out and let your voice be known that you want the proper uh, history and the proper uh, elements of but even grade school children that are being taught things they should never be hearing. And so we need to get involved. Let's be a researcher. Number one, your number one trait. And then we'll be telling you more of how to be a good investigator as we go on in our shows. That's right. And part of the involvement in the community, especially schools, might be even, and oftentimes is, is it's the school boards. And you might have to vote people out or get people removed. And then you need to put people on the boards who are like-minded and are thinking about the children first. So that's also, I think, a key element in what's going on in the schools and education. So all that's great advice and great tips. So at this point, we want to thank everyone for tuning in today, for listening, for viewing, whether you're on a podcast or YouTube, whatever it may be. Thank you for checking out the Private Investigator Experience. And if you haven't already done so, we're asking you again to please hit the subscribe and like button. Tell your friends, tell your family. Let them know what's going on with this show and that they can be, uh, they can check us out and be involved. Send us an email again, like we talked about. Ask questions. Let us know what's going on with you. Uh, that email address is plittle, pi777 at gmail.com. So with that being said and done, dad, any final thoughts? You just tripped something when you talked about schools. There are organizations today of parents that have turned around school boards by taking them over and putting um, uh, people who had the right values on them. So when you're doing your research, research uh, uh, boards or, or citizen boards, citizen groups that are taking back their schools and then check in with them, find out information you can do. So God bless you. God bless America. See you next time.